Good evening, folks. I'm uh, your host, Jeff McNeil. And on tonight's episode, episode 17 of Coast to Coast Outdoors, we have none other than the rack stacker, Steve Elmy. Uh, welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Uh, great to have you back again. Uh, it's uh, it's a great new partnership. Uh, I don't know how many of our followers have seen uh, that announcement, but uh, we're going to have you on uh, once a month for... Uh, throughout the hunting season, I guess, into the, the springtime there, talking about food plots, strategic hunting, obviously, the whole nine yards. So, Yeah, thanks. it's going to be a great opportunity to reach out to the viewers as well as your viewers and mine. Uh, I've got a great following myself, and a lot of questions come up, and it becomes cumbersome because a lot of those questions are exactly the same questions as the, the last guy. So having this month-to-month, being able to explain those frequently asked questions will be able to help us out, be able to reach more viewers, and hopefully harvest some more whitetails for the fall. That's that's awesome. And for our viewers that don't know what tonight's show is about or haven't been following or just tuned in, obviously, it is about setting up for an early season bow hunt, correct me? And that yeah. One. Yep. We're going to focus strictly on early season because this is the time of the year when things start to change in the whitetail habitat and, you know, Plants start to mature that they're normally feeding on throughout the summer months. Obviously, there's cash crop involved. Any type of food plotters are out there. They've obviously planted. Or if you can't food plot, there are options out there that Rackstacker offers to the viewers. So we're going to touch base on all of that. Perfect. So I guess we can jump right in. Uh, I will let our viewers know uh, that uh, one lucky winner will receive uh, a prize tonight throughout uh, throughout the show. Compliments of... Uh, Rack Stacker and Steve Elmy. So uh, I just wanted to let our viewers know, tune in and engage and uh, like, share uh, the whole nine yards. Yeah, but I mean, we're here to help you guys out. And if you ask questions, um, you know, obviously Jeff's here to help you. He's the one that's on the other side. So he's seen all the questions that pop up. But ask questions, guys. We're here to help you guys out. And over the next hour and a half, we'll be able to answer those questions for you. Perfect. So, Steve, what, uh, what tips uh, work for the early season bow stand uh bow season obviously uh let's uh are we going to be speaking specifically to bow or are we going to leave it open to uh all topics uh all weapons of choice well i think right now what we'll do because it's early september we're going to be hitting the early bow season here in early october and a lot of guys uh for, for typically the, the labor day weekend they're, they're wondering, what can I do? How do I prepare? How do I set my stands? What can I do with my food plots in order to make sure that they're prepared properly? Do I fertilize? Do I mow? That sort of stuff. We're going to touch base on all that. Hey, Jeff, how's it going, man? So we're going to touch base on all those types of things. Now, we're also going to talk about Jeremy. Hey, buddy. He's a good. He's one of our elite staff down in Sarnia. Yeah, perfect. Brunswick. Yeah, these guys, I know them all. This is great. So... <laughs> We're going to touch base on some of the products that Rackstacker offers in order to draw in whitetails during the early season. Now, of course, we've been monitoring deer over the mineral stations. Guys have been working hard all spring and summer long to put in Super Buck or Sweet Success. And, of course, when we get into late July, early August, we start putting in Field Edge. We've got lots of photos to share with everybody, so you'll see the type of production you can expect from these products in the next four to six weeks. Um, but I think it's important to start on the type of forage that the deer are eating right now and then what you're going to expect those deer to change to before the 1st of October. Perfect. So, I don't know, Jeff, cut me off anytime you want. I'm going to start with, uh, first and foremost, perennial food plots like the Superbuck. It's got 
seven different types of clover, two types of alfalfa, bird's foot trefoil, and chicory in it. And then what happens is when guys start planting that in the early parts of the spring, May, June, July, it's going to take some time to build that, that forage production up. So during this time, a lot of the deer are either into soybean or they're eating natural forages like elderberry and serviceberry and ragweed and even sumac for that matter. They forage on all that. Basswood is also very popular for the deer population here in eastern Ontario and even eastern Canada for that matter. Mm -hmm. So they're foraging on all of that during pretty well July through September. Now, while in, in my travels, I traveled up to Aurelia today, and on my travels home, I noticed that there was a lot of soybean fields that were actually going yellow. This is when the beans are starting to mature. You know, typically beans are 110, 120-day-old beans, and they start to mature. And what happens is they lose the nutritional value because all that value goes towards the bean pod. So deer come right – it's like eating a stale loaf of bread, if you can mm -hmm. think of it. So what happens is the deer don't like it, it's stale, they try and find something a little more productive for them. That's when they start turning to alfalfa hay fields, clover fields, super buck. So if anybody out there has planted super buck or walk and toss, which is our two main clover based products, if you planted them, get your trail cameras onto them because that's when you're gonna start seeing a lot more deer pile into these perennial food plots prior to the frost. Now, Steve, would there be any? Uh, would you see more does and fawns this time of year in uh, in Ontario and Eastern Canada than you would bucks, or would it be a mixture? Well, I'm gonna split it in two. So, first of all, during the summer months, we all know that fawning season happens into May, early June, sometimes into July, depending on when those does were bred. So, those does want to be left alone. They're typically by themselves. You'll see trail camera pictures of does and fawns together. But those bucks, they're in separate bachelor groups. So on my property, I own 88 acres in southeastern Ontario. And traditionally, because of the human population around my farm, I get a lot of does and fawns that tend to hang out on my farm. I mean, I might have three or four does and probably three or four fawns that are hanging out here. I often don't get antler bucks. However, I have seen some absolutely record whitetails show up on my emails and my Facebook from guys and I'm very confidential with anybody that shares photos so I won't tell you where they are who, who they're from but <laughs> I will say there's some giants out there that are going to get harvested this year and they're, they're feeding on protein they're trying to get their antlers developed and I actually seen a, a post I think about two three days ago from a good friend of mine Kip Adams from the quality deer management He's not far from us. He's about three hours south in, uh, in Pennsylvania. And he actually has velvet coming on right now. So you can expect to see hard antler probably in the next seven to ten days. That's when those the testosterone level changes in the antlers. A product that we offer called Glory, if you've been feeding the bucks Glory all summer long, that glory is stored in the skeletal system during the growing stages so that when they go through that, what they call antler matrix, the antler matrix is where they go from proteins in, in the antler to hard antler, and it mm -hmm. derives all the nutritional value from the skeletal system to go into hard antler, and that's going to happen in the next week. Wow. So going back to what you asked, you know, what to expect on food plots. So you're going to see younger bucks start to separate from the older bucks. The older bucks are obviously a little slower. They're kind of like the grandpa of the, of the herd. 
So you're going to get younger bucks cruising in and out, just checking stuff out. They're going to start sparring in the middle of the fields mid-September prior to um, the early frost in October. But those those super buck and alfalfa fields are where you're going to find those deer trying to forage and put on as much fat before the rut. Gotcha. So we got some photos now, Steve. Do you want me to bring some up on the, the screen here and share with our viewers that are tuning in, or you want me to hold off a little bit? No, let's throw a couple up there. I want to touch base on a bit of my history. So you can see my kids here. You know, if anybody knows and follows the Homegrown Hunter TV, you'll see that Logan is now 14, and he's going to be harvesting a couple of deer this year. He's like three in that photo. Wow. Ash been- in the background, she shot a bear last year. Or sorry, last week. Sorry, last week she shot a bear up at KB Lodge. She's probably four and a half in that photo, and she's 15 now. So this is 10 years ago. Now, they're standing in a bean field, and in the background, if you look in the background, you'll see field edge and stuff that, that is separated. So one of the reasons why I started planting agricultural crops on my farm, I almost strictly did my own plots with my own products until I found that the deer disappeared. And what happened was the deer were into the beans, then they hammered the clover plots, and then they come back to the beans. So what was happening was a farmer that's about a kilometer and a half from me held all the deer through the summer months. Mm-hmm. And I had them on my clover superbuck plots. And then it seemed like they just disappeared for a week and a half. And you're like, I had him on camera. He was consistently <laughs> coming in. What happened? Well, that's what I found. So using the same theory that firefighters use so if you talk about firefighting so if there's a fire forest fire somewhere what they'll do is they'll use fire to fight fire they'll burn a break and then Mm -hmm. that fire to stop well i wanted to stop those deer from traveling so i started to plant quarter and a half acre bean plots on my property just so i had that missing link gotcha i don't have agricultural property I mean, I've got lots of land to plant, but I just called a buddy of mine and said, listen, throw me 50 pounds of beans. I'm going to toss that in and see if it makes a difference. And I found that if you planted beans right next to Superbuck, you would literally see the deer go to beans all summer and then jump to Superbuck as soon as the beans went yellow. And as soon as the beans matured and went dry, they went back to the standing beans. So it's important to have that around. And if you're hunting private land that's got agricultural planted close by, you want to pay attention to those travel patterns because you want to see where those deer are traveling. And if you've got beans to your left and alfalfa on the right, you want to be smack dab in the middle so then that way you can cut them off. For sure. And uh, we've got a few other photos here of the, the kids. And it's hard to believe, Steve, you've been you've been doing the food plots as long as you have, to be uh, be quite honest. That's, uh, that's a feat in itself to come that far from – from that little episode you had with the dragons then when you first started out till now, it's hard to believe it's been that long. Well, we, we had the dragons then back in 15, but um, I've been doing this since 2007. Actually, my first product I developed was 04. So we've been doing it for quite a while now. The kids have grown up with it. Uh, actually, it's at the point now with this COVID stuff, they're not going to be going back to school. They'll be doing their online stuff and helping us at the warehouse. So they're going to be working more with, the, with us. Perfect. So they'll be eventually taking over the company i'm sure oh doubt uh we've got some more uh more of the family photos here steve as well uh with the young ones that photo right there is actually in a product called field edge and it underseeded it with oats so those little stringy things you see right there in their jackets that's actually just plain oats i just underseeded it with oats 
However, um, Ashen in her left hand's got radish. Logan's got um, two types of hybrid brassica that we use. And then um, the other young lady to your right there has got some, some of our turnip that we have in it. So it's 100% annual. You plant that late July, early August in the better part of Canada. Mm -hmm. And that's the type of production you're going to get by the 1st of October. Wow. I'm going to show you some really amazing photos that uh, I think will amaze some of the viewers. You got that. Uh, there you go. That's Logan right there. He's about seven or eight years old, hold, holding a huge, huge radish plant. We call that Biggins radish. That plant will produce up to 40,000 pounds per acre of digestible food for white-tails deer. So when, when you plant that in August, it'll grow up in about 65 to 70 days. You're going to get tons of forage, and you're going to have, once the frost hits that, the deer just pile into it. It's awesome. And he's actually, hold on there a second. He's actually standing in a super buck plot. So that's the clover underneath. You can see all the clover and, and chicory. So that's super buck. And then uh, he's holding the radish. So again, that's a combination planting. So instead of taking a half an acre and planting it just in one product, mm -hmm. cut the field in half, do half super buck, half field edge, or half biggins radish, and you'll get some big production. And the deer literally go from one side of the field to the next, and they don't have any reason to leave. So it produces uh, results, obviously. Uh uh, you keep them around all year. Like I know here in Atlantic Canada, a lot of us guys, uh, it's on the mainland area. It's uh, it's carrots and it's apples for the most part, predominantly. Uh, some guys use uh, the rack stacker products, uh, which puts them in a in a field of their own, obviously, because some guys in the mainland have their own food plots and that. And it doesn't matter if you're a guy that uses apples or carrots. They're they're going to go to something new with more protein, obviously, than than what uh, the the traditional method was, obviously. Yeah, well, I'll be honest with you, man. I throw everything like everything but the kitchen sink at the deer. I I throw corn, I throw apples, I throw my own feed, I throw molasses, I throw carrots, I everything you can. I throw bales of alfalfa to cover up my grains so the birds don't eat it. So don't limit yourself if you. Like, I'm not saying you have to buy rack stacker all the time. It's just another piece of your arsenal that you can put out there that's going to help those deer. And the more offerings you give them, they're not like a cow. They will not just stand in one spot and eat. They're going to naturally forage. I, I can't begin to tell you how many times I've seen deer that come in and get a mouthful of feed and then walk over to a tree and start chewing on its branches. Well, they need its fiber too. So they're natural foragers. This is just one. Hey, Danny. There's just one more thing that's going to draw those deer into your stand. And the more pieces of the puzzle that you can add to it, the more opportunities you're going to have to harvest a, a good whitetail. For sure. And, and Steve, you, like you said earlier, this is a family affair. So not only do you guys do the food plots and the harvesting, but you hunt as one uh, family, obviously. Uh, you've got the kids involved. You've got the wife involved. Uh, it's, it's truly a unique aspect because most times it's either all business and no play or or play and very little business obviously and you guys manufactured it so that it encompasses everything you know i like i said 10 years ago my kids were running around just tied to my hip doing food plots with me logan was falling asleep on my seat while i was driving the tractor putting in plots 10 years ago and they they've grown up with it and now logan 
he hasn't had an opportunity to harvest a deer. Ashton shot a deer in a bear already, and she shot a double turkey this this past wow. week. We, uh, we've had a really good season so far, and I have a notion to think that Logan's going to have an opportunity to giant someday, and he's going to trump us all. <laughs> <laughs> that, will, that will come in time. But, yeah, last year, I, uh, Selena shot her deer, and, you know, what, what we try and portray is the fact that it goes back to my television show. My wife come up with that name, the Homegrown Hunter TV, mm -hmm. and it's truly because we're a homegrown family, I grew up on farms with my uncle Chris, and she grew up on the road we live on. She's mm -hmm. been here 40 years, 39. I better say 39. She gave me in trouble. Um, so we've been in the same area. You know, I don't come up with a hunting background, and my background is animal nutrition. So when I started to develop these products, I never would have thought that we'd be developing products strictly for the hunting business. But it's a great opportunity to provide for my family. They get out there and harvest, and they they've helped with butchering our game animals and it's a it's a family affair for us and that's what i think i love about it my wife's very very proud of it my kids absolutely adore it so it's a good opportunity for us to share a lot of family outdoors perfect uh yeah so i've got a few other photos there but uh we'll save them throughout the show obviously steve because then we uh unless you want me to bring up the the next photo which is uh, uh a fawn and uh a doe obviously in the field well, let's touch base on that. So that is, <clears throat> excuse me, that is a staging area that we refer to as the coon trap. That's on the Rackstacker farm. They're in there feeding. It's actually between the bedding and the destination food source. So going back to the subject at, at bay here for the conversation, early bow season is really challenging when it comes to harvesting a big deer when you're in an area that you know holds a lot of does and fawns. But we all know that once the rut kicks in, those bucks separate and they start spreading out. You can get random bucks show up at any given time. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to harvest an early buck, you know maybe you have an early doe tag. And if you do, I, I highly encourage you to shoot a doe early. Uh, if you shoot her early, then that way, for one, it lowers the, the doe population to help those bucks breed at a regular time. It also um, allows those bucks less stress come to November when they are hard into the rut. So if you're going to harvest a doe, harvest her early. Don't harvest her while she's knocked up. I'm sorry. <laughs> pregnant. I let that one slip. Don't harvest her when she's pregnant back. And, you know, obviously when the, the buck breeds her in December, you don't want, it's just not worth it. You're shooting a couple of deer and it's unnecessary. So my point is, is that if you're going to harvest a deer during daylight hours, you obviously want to make sure that you're between the bedding area and the destination food. And the destination could be that alfalfa that I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Is right now in the early parts of September, they're going to be piling into the alfalfa fields. The last couple of weeks of any type of perennial forage, the, the farmers are going to cut their last cut of alfalfa in the heat of the September months or September month is going to allow the perennials to come back more vigorous. They're going to be highly nutritional because it's coming right from the root system. And those deer are trying to put on as much weight as they possibly can. So they're going to be into alfalfa and clover. And if you've got that food plot tucked away like that where the doe is, you're going to have a lot of deer piling in there in the early season. Perfect. That's what most hunters want, obviously. Uh, they want success. And uh, with, with the does come the big bucks eventually during the rut. So mm -hmm. can't argue with that. Uh, so, uh, Steve, I've, uh, I'll move into this photo here, obviously, of uh, – you and your early age, well, before we continue on, 
that's uh that's uh that's a, a damn nice buck i must say uh well i'll be honest with you that was my first year i ever harvested wow <laughs> that's what started the addiction actually uh, i hunted with friends back in 98 and we're going back 22 years ago now and you know they shot deer there's nothing wrong it's to each their own you want to shoot a young deer there's no problem with that but at that point i didn't even know what a decent buck was and so i got access to this property the the farmer himself was on a roof a steel roof and i drove by one day and i seen him up there by himself and i'm like that's it he needs help so i went home changed into my grubs come back to the house and got to know him he obviously we hit it off he let me hunt his property that hadn't been hunted in over 10 years. Wow. Well, I went out back, I poured rack stacker, and at that point it was the Steve's deer feed. That's what we called it. <laughs> but at the, at the time I poured it out and that buck stepped out and I shot it. And when I shot it, I called my buddy Scott. We've been high school buddies since 94. And I said, dude, I can't lift this deer. I can't get it in my truck. And he laughed and says, dude, it's not that hard. Just throw him in your truck. And I'm like, I can't, he's <laughs> too big. So once I got there, or sorry, once he got there, he freaked out because there was nobody in the camp that had shot a, a nice buck like that in our area. And I was intrigued by how big the deer got, why it was that big. Obviously, it was comfortable in the area. The area hadn't been hunted in forever. And to, to this day, I'm standing in the kitchen of that farmhouse. I bought the farm. Wow. So the older fellow let me buy the farm off of him and... I've been absolutely addicted ever since. So that's my first year. I there was no skill involved with that. I literally piled for rack stacker out and shot him. So it was great. That's uh, that's luck. Uh, yeah, like literally luck. <laughs> but that's what started the whole thing. And you know, as I as I got more addicted to why that deer was the way it was, it was because there was less hunting pressure. You know, obviously there were some hunters around, but it wasn't that aggressive. And sure enough four years five years into that i shot a couple more good deer and it started to kind of domino from there perfect now uh i guess uh moving along there uh, a lot of people i guess would say early early season what additional tips would you offer them uh, around i guess the food plots the tonnage uh, of food obviously that uh, a deer would consume during that period steve uh, okay so when it comes to myself setting up i typically uh, on labor day weekend i'm going to start with the food plot portion then i'll start into attractants and stuff so labor day weekend is the weekend that i bush hog all of my food plots that are perennial not not your annual plots just your perennial plots it goes right back to what I was saying about the farmer cutting the last cut of alfalfa. It stimulates growth. And because they're going from the beans into the alfalfa fields and the clover fields, they're going to start migrating into that area. And when you cut it in September, it gives the plants four weeks of growing prior to the boat season. The more that grows, the warmer the September weather, the more vigorous it gets and the more tonnage it produces. Now, with that being said, depending on the size of your plot, you know, my, my clover plots can be a half acre to two acres. And when you're planting that big of an acreage, one white-tailed deer, a mature buck that's 300 pounds, needs to consume 9.1 pounds of food per day. Wow. So 
when you think about taking a bag of rack stacker and pouring it on the ground, that's just a small piece of the puzzle. Like they've got to eat tons of forage. They've got to eat lots of clover. They're traveling consistently. You've got to make sure there's lots of food sources out there, but the biggest key is making sure that you've got higher production food out there. And that's where the food plots are really beneficial. And we'll touch base that. You know, we talked earlier when we first started that we're going to be doing this on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. If any of the viewers that are watching right now that want to actually cons consistently tune in, we're going to talk about food plots in March so you can get yourself prepared for the upcoming season. And we'll walk you through those steps of getting perennials. But as of right now for baiting, I typically put in a protein block. I also put in some rack stacker original but I find it's a little too early right now, only because there's still lots of green forage out there. And all you're gonna get is a deer traveling past the camera. They're not gonna be feeding on a lot. So don't get too carried away with putting a lot of product out right now. It's it's great to put it out, put a little bit out, but mm -hmm. don't get carried away. I know guys will go and dump two, three bags and that's just, you're gonna feed all the small animals and not the deer that you're looking for. So. Just hang tight a couple more weeks, and then when you get into mid-September, when it, when the temperatures drop to below 10 degrees, you're going to find a lot more deer showing up on your cameras. You're going to find a lot more deer showing up at your feeders. 90% of those trail cam photos are going to be uh, bucks. Like the does and fawns will feed here all the time, but those bucks are just going to be cruising by. They're literally just checking out the new territory. They're smelling. They're scraping. They're rubbing. You're going to start seeing trees all rubbed up and destroyed and that's because the hard antlers on and they're starting to build their neck muscles up they're trying to kind of develop their own territory and that's when you're going to start seeing a lot more activity in mid-september that's when i start feeding heavy that way when you get into the feeding heavy you're going to draw more deer as they start to separate and you're going to hold them on your property that you want to start hunting that's one of our elite staff that's shane he's up in sudbury he harvests deer every year over blaze mineral that's another great product you can use to pour on a stump. Very, very simple to use. And that's Shane's go-to every season. Wow, eh? Nice buck. Yeah, another uh, central Ontario deer. Jeez, eh? Uh, so I know we had the layout there, Steve, and uh, how we were going to uh, run through. And uh, we may have jumped around a little bit there with my, my question there. It may have thrown us off, so... So uh, we've got some other photos there. Uh, I don't know if we're at that point yet for me to bring them up where you're in the field, obviously, and uh, uh, you're, you're bush hogging or uh, weed eating some of it there. I think that might play into the next part of the, the strategic aspect of an early bow season. Yeah, so if you want to throw the weed eating there, when, when I say I'm going to bush hog my plots, you need to understand that when I say bush hog, you may not have a bush hog or a tractor to do that. This is me. Well, look at the date on it. What's the date? Oh, nine. So oh, nine. Oh, nine. So we're talking 11 years ago. I had no equipment. I had no bush hogs, no tractors. And this is in the plot that we actually call the, the horse's pasture. It's on our rack stacker farm. That's actually where I shot that buck. And I'm just weed eating it down, literally cutting it like a lawnmower. And I didn't even have the lawnmower at the time. So I weeded it down. You're going to cut it to four to six inches. This is your perennial forage. And then it'll allow a couple of weeks to, for it to come back. And that's when it's going to be lush and green and the deer are really going to focus on it. So when I say bush hog, if you don't have one, don't, don't undermine it. It's, you have to be able to use the equipment you have available to you. And if weed eaters is all it needs or takes, then by all means use a weed eater. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's uh, that should answer your question because time and time again, I hear from a lot of people that say, well, Jeff, I don't have equipment for for food plots and that, like a bush hog or anything like that to, to get stuff done. And, and really, they don't, like you said, Steve, they don't need that. They could utilize the tools that they may have access to, like a, a weed eater or anything like that. So, so. Well, I find with the guys over the years, you know, I started from scratch too, man. We all have to start from somewhere. That's how I started. And obviously, I've upgraded over the years. Once you start seeing the results, you're going to want to expand. So, you know, you can put that in your personal budget and say, okay, next year I'm going to get a zero turn or a regular lawnmower. I actually broke three lawnmowers in a five-year pattern, destroying them over rocks and trying to cut my – like I don't have time to weed eat a half-acre pond all the time, right? So plus it's exhausting. So I ended up getting just a regular lawnmower. I bought it from a, an old used lawnmower place not far from my house. And I beat it all up. I just chewed it up. You just want to be able to scar the top of the food plot. It'll regenerate and come back. And that's going to be the biggest pull for the early season for deer. Perfect. There's a little bit later. That's actually field edge next to beans with a couple strips of corn. That's getting real complicated when it comes to food plotting. But I'll tell you, that is a gauntlet when it comes to killing deer in the fall. So I got beans and corn on the right, and then there's a strip of corn right in the middle before my blind, and then right through the whole center of it's all field edge there. And now there's another bean field to the left there. So it's all stripped out. They call that a hub and spoke design. This is only an acre and a half. It's not that big, but oh. if you can break it up, think of it this way. So when you're planting a food plot and you want to create more food and more cover below six feet. That's the biggest goal right there. And that's how you're going to get deer into daylight activity. So when you're planting a product I call CWTF Turkey Blend, it's from the Canadian Wild Turkey Federation. I developed it strictly for them. And it's a tall growing, it looks similar to corn, but it creates a wall. So you can put strips into your big open area. And what happens is that buck steps into the field looks around and he can't see through the field. So if you've got a half acre food plot that that deer can normally see right across, he now has to travel. That keeps him on his feet during daylight hours, looking for the girlfriends that are in there feeding and it's gonna keep him cruising, giving you an opportunity to harvest them. So breaking up the plot like that is really important. Gotcha. So we've got some other photos in that too, but I guess we're, uh how are we doing for time here, Steve? So we're at about the 30 minute mark. So I guess uh, I'll leave this up to you. If you want to do a, a random draw here for one of the, the viewer comments, obviously. Uh, I'm going to show you something here, guys. It's brand new this year. Rack Stacker has teamed up with a Canadian company to, to develop some new Rack Stacker apparel for the upcoming season. We've got them in multiple colors, including Hunter Orange. And I'm about to show you what we're going to give away to one lucky winner. Now, in order to win this prize, um, I, we need you to like and share the comments to Coast to Coast Outdoors. Share this podcast to your video or to your Facebook or social media following and ask them to watch it through and you get an opportunity to win one of our new Rack Stacker hoodies. Now, this is not an inexpensive hoodie. This is high performance. Now, this is olive green. This is not the color you're going to get. This is my daughter's. <laughs> But these are made of high-quality twill. There's 45,000 stitches in multiple different colors, and it is extremely comfortable. We've got multiple different colors. 
Um, once we uh, get done this, Jeff and I will talk about who liked and shared the video, and then we'll reach out to you, get an address, and we'll mail one off. But if you're interested in any Rackstacker apparel, we're going to have them at the Rackstacker website. There's select dealers across Canada. If you go to Rackstacker and click the store link on the top right corner of our website, you'll see all the stores available coast to coast. You can certainly request the hoodies there, or we're also going to have them on Amazon.com. So you'll see the store lo locator on the far right. You click on that, you'll see all the dealers. Jeff will scroll down and show you where we've got lots of dealers across Canada. We're just shy of 1,300. However, um, we're going to have it on Amazon as well. So if anybody shops on Amazon and they're looking for a Christmas gift, I'll show this real quick again. Rackstacker's new hoodies. These are sexy. If you want to look good in your party next January, <laughs> doing double shots with your buddies. <laughs> That's what you're going to want to be wearing. But yeah, yeah we sell to all major outlets across Canada. Lots of independent hunting shops, home harvest, Canadian Tire, Tractor Supply, PV Mart out west. We've got some in the, the U.S. as well, Wisconsin, Minnesota. So there's lots of dealers. If you want hoodies, by all means, reach out to us. We've got them in hunter orange, green, gray. We've even got women's black, women's pink, and women's purple. So we didn't forget you, ladies. We love you too. <laughs> perfect and you know what that's that's awesome steve because some lucky viewer will get to sport one of those hoodies uh and like and share like and share this podcast. like and share so and for for anybody else that is viewing and uh whatnot if you're looking for rack stacker apparel rack stacker gear check out the website i'll highlight it here you'll see it there uh uh, rack stacker hyphen or rack hyphen stacker hyphen inc dot shop lightspeed.com forward slash gear so uh yeah check them out uh lots of attractants uh feed bags hunting accessories the whole nine yards so uh be uh, uh be well, willing I'll, to check I'll, I'll cut you off for a quick sec so the second tab in there you'll see contest if you click on contest so you'll see those, those are actually stickers. So if you click on the sticker, it doesn't matter which one, there's one or a 12 pack. We're having a contest right now for trail cameras. If you've got any type of good deer, any trail camera picks that you want to share, you can submit them to my daughter, Ashlyn. She's got them all categorized. We've got 20 different winners that are going to win prizes. And the top prize is an $800 Savage Arms 243 predator topped with a uh, vortex scope it's a very very nice gun so if you've got some good deer crap uh, coming into your trail cameras get yourself one of those stickers off our website we'll mail it out to you we've got i think six weeks left we're going to give it away on the tuesday after thanksgiving so there's lots of time to put your trail cam picks out there and get yourself a chance to, to win that predator rifle Perfect. And here, for those that uh, have the, the decal, or the sticker, uh, Ashlyn's uh, email address is highlighted here, ashlyn at rackstacker.ca. So there you go. All the full details for that contest is on the Rackstacker website. All the so, details of the prizes as well. Yep. Feel free to, to check it out. So, so yeah, so hopefully uh, – Hopefully a few people will chime in on that, Steve, and uh, one of the maybe one of our viewers will chime in and do some purchases, and uh, we never know, right? 
All you can do is try, man. We're just here to chit chat, have a good time, and hopefully get some guys encouraged with harvesting some good deer. Perfect. And uh, Jeremy uh, Brewer, thanks for the the comment. Great info, Steve, and thanks Jeff McNeil. So uh, there you go. Uh, so yeah. So uh, where do we leave off there? Uh, we were talking obviously about strategic uh, planning of food plots and uh, blind placements. I guess. Uh, I guess that would be one of the next uh, topics to, to touch on, Steve, if they were uh, doing the early early season uh, bow hunt, whether it be uh, ground blind or tree stand, obviously. Uh, that might be something there that you may be able to add a little insight to as well. I've got lots of information on that. So with, with my job, obviously, I'm able to go down to a lot of U.S. trade shows and learn from some of the bigger professionals. I wouldn't consider myself the top professional in any case, but – I've been able to learn a lot from the U.S. guys that are obviously I have an opportunity to harvest quite a few more deer than what most of us guys can up in Canada. So what I've learned is thermals are extremely important when it comes to whether ground blind or ladder stand placements. You need to make sure that your thermals and your windows in your direction are in your favor in order to harvest whitetail bucks, especially mature bucks. I'm not saying that any young yearling or two-year-old buck isn't going to come downwind to you. Um, it's obviously happened to many of us where you've had that, but if you're willing to harvest and hold out for a big whitetail buck and you want to shoot a big whitetail buck, well, he knows that land a lot better than you do. And it, a lot of it comes down to wind direction and thermal. So when it comes to early October, because the daytime highs can get up to 15 to 20 degrees, thermals tend to rise up off the ground. So if you're hunting in the mornings and you slide in, you know, an hour before daylight, Get into a tree stand. You're way better off getting into a tree stand because as soon as the sun starts to peak and your thermals rise, you're now you're, you're putting your scent up into the air above the deer's nose. It's reverse of that, I find, in the fall, in the evenings. So because of the dew and the heavy dew, it'll actually carry your scent down. So what I try and do, get tucked into a ground blind, either close to a food plot or a food source that you've put out there, apples, corn, carrot, track stack, or whatever the heck you're putting out, Add lots of to it, and they'll they'll pick and choose what they they decide on. But when when you have a evening sit, I highly encourage you to get into a ground blind where your thermals are staying within that blind. Only because October is kind of that weird temperature change where you're getting daytime highs, and you can potentially get into a minus two or minus three morning, which is great because as soon as the sun comes up, you'll see the steam literally coming off the frost. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing with, with your scent. We all have showers. We all wash our clothes. We all have ozonics. We're all trying everything in our, in our darndest to try and get close to that whitetail buck to harvest them. But I will tell you this. If you're hunting a food source, and I learned what was referred to as a J-hook, mm -hmm. and I, I was kind of hoping to have like a, a graph here so I can show you because it's really important to understand what a J-hook is because I've, I've shot deer, a couple of deer, good deer, using the J-hook method. And we'll touch base on that hopefully by the end of October so that when guys go out for a gun hunt, they know what that J-hook is all about. So Jeff, make note of that. We'll touch base on the J-hook we'll then. We'll do it. J-hook. Yeah. So what the J-hook is, if you can imagine, you've got a food, a lot of guys will set their tree stand up and they'll put a a bait 20 yards in front of their stand. Oh, this is where we're going to hunt. Well, now you're sitting 20 yards on top of the food source. Any smart deer, and there's a lot of stupid deer, 
Let's just be honest. <laughs> Any smart deer, mature, five-year-old, giant, 180 class, 150 class, whatever your giant deer is to you, is going to be downwind 80 yards. He's going to be scenting that thing like crazy way before he gets to that bait source, especially if it's into the October. Because, one, he just wants a mouthful, and he's gone. He's back after the girlfriends again. Mm-hmm. So if you want to kill a deer in the early season, you need to understand what a J-hook is. And the J-hook is all about getting further away from the food source downwind. So another buddy of mine, Lee, many, many years ago, he called it tic-tac-toe. And I'm going to use my three fingers if I could line them up mm-hmm. here. So here's your bait. Here's your deer. And here's where you want to be. It's called tic-tac-toe. If you want to kill him, you need to kill him within 40 yards of the bait source. So get 80 yards behind the food. Therefore, when he does his J-hook, that J-hook, he's circling downwind to catch the scent and come into the scent. And it, as much as you've got the wind in your favor and you're sitting 20 yards from the bait, that deer is 60 yards behind you smelling you, and he is gone. So set your bait source further away in the early season, and you can tighten it up as you get into the December. Because once you get into December and all the does are bred, that's when you can get real tight to your food source. It's not such a big deal. But in the early seasons, make sure you're hunting 60 to 80 yards off your food source. So you, you beat me to the next point there was uh, scent control uh, or scent blockers. Should they be used in the early season? And obviously that's a, that's a given in the early season. So You need everything in your favor, man. If you're, if you're showering, like we're going to go bear hunting there on Tuesday because we have opener uh, September 1st. And we're showering up, we're washing our clothes, we're doing everything we can, we're using nonsense deodorant, all that stuff, and we'll spray as soon as we get out of the truck. Absolutely everything in your favor, wind in your face, you don't want to get busted. And it, whether it's bear or deer, they work the same way. And deer are obviously a little more skittish, because bears are obviously predators, but when it comes to prey, they're always getting chased around, whether it's coyotes or human or black bears, it doesn't matter. They're getting chased, you've got to make sure that you beat uh, two of their three senses, you know, now, sound and, and taste, right? Or sorry, hearing, hearing. Now, now with that, uh, Steve, uh, a lot of people say, what advice is there for noise control? Because in the early season, obviously, noise control, I've, I've had this debate with people over my time there where people complain and say, well, Jeff, noise is a big thing and we got to control the noise. We have to do all this, right? And I, my perspective is, it doesn't matter because I've had tree blinds in that that are boxes made out of tarps, obviously, that make so much noise. It's been put in months before, obviously, but it didn't fizz the deer. So you could be there and it could be blown a gale and it didn't fizz them. And I tried to use that uh, that to show people that sometimes noise doesn't make a difference. That Now, that's based on uh, sitting position not uh, a stocking position obviously but but what's your take on that steve in the early season i've actually i I have a camera guy that follows me around in the fall and his name is tyrell awesome guy he's he's harvested some pretty good deer the last couple of years with me but up until the point where i hired him he hadn't had any great success so what i showed him and this goes for black bear and for whitetails Mm -hmm. if you got whitetails in front of you play with them and I encourage you to obviously don't do that with a mature buck but if you got a young deer in front of you and you just go 
he's going to look up and he's going to see you and turn his head and he's not going to know what you are. And he might stomp around a little bit, but you're not going to scare him because you're not chasing him. So when it comes to sound or movement, as long as you don't pose a threat, you'll be pretty fine, pretty okay. Like I'm not going to say he's not going to run away because you obviously know that's his own choice and wind could be a huge thing. But with the same guy I'm talking about, Tyrell, I mm-hmm. sat in a stand with him in a big oak tree Turkeys are scratching behind us. Geese are flying over our head. Deer are coming through the evergreens beside us, making breaking sticks. They're hearing noise all the time. So as long as you don't pose a threat, and if you break a stick, rub a branch, draw your bow, and you're, you're pulling back and you rub your jacket or something, just hold still. Don't pose a threat. They'll calm down, and when they do, take the shot. But – when you get into December, I find they're really skittish because you've got a lot more hunters in the bush. You've got, you know, all they want to do is eat. So they're coming into a food source that could potentially cause danger, especially when human scent is constantly spread. So I find that in the, in the later December, I get a lot more skittish, skittier, skittish, skitterish deer, if you want to call it. <laughs> they, they do get very skitterish, but it's also minus 30 out. So any crackle of your jacket or the blind blows in the snow and it could, it could bust them. So in the early stages, trying to stay on topic, obviously, I don't find that they tend to bother too much. Plus, leaves are falling, acorns are falling, apples are hitting the ground. There's just so much noise. And where I'm at right now, where I'm bow hunting in the early season, there's even traffic and people laughing in their backyard. So it's kind of a – it's a touchy subject. Some guys don't want to make a ton of noise, but I, I did prove that to Tyrell where I was like, hey, look at this. And they're like, the deer just stood there or the bear just stood there, and they're like, oh, well, it's not chasing me. For all I know, it's a squirrel because you're not posing a threat. Now, now it's funny because where I live here in Cape Breton, deer are skittish – near 365 days a year every little thing spooks them if i drive five hours to the mainland you you could blast a gun and that deer goes about 10 yards and stops and turns and looks at you yeah it's uh, it, it, sometimes the the science behind the deer herds are uh unique in itself because each area has its own little niche i find depending on where you're 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 hunting obviously I totally agree. Last night, I was sitting here by myself out in the deck, and a friend of mine sent me a video link of a food plot guy from Michigan, and he asked me a couple of questions. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Well, I watched two and a half minutes of this guy's food plot video. Extremely good speaker, very clear, very to the point. However, some of his comments were contradictive because, for one, he said, well, food plots, fuel edge, he called them brassicas. It's my fuel edge product. So field edge, for instance, gets hammered in the early season. Well, if you're familiar with north central Michigan, there's solid bush. There's no natural food sources. So it's contradicted to what he's saying. So I disagree with him because where I put my field edge now, I don't have the deer density that Michigan has. Like they're going to kill 750,000 deer in the opening of gun season that's 10 days long. Well, Ontario only has 400,000 deer, so they're going to kill twice the deer population in Montreal in a week than we have all across the province. So my point is is that your deer is different than my deer, which is different than Michigan's, which is different than Saskatchewan. I got guys that say, well, I can't believe the deer that they're producing in Saskatchewan. Well, hold on. Take a look at the deer density, the deer population. You got Saskatchewan hunters. There's 150,000 deer hunters in the province and 300,000 deer. 
So for every hunter, there's a there's a deer. Mm-hmm. In Ontario, you've got for every deer, there's a hunter. So it's twice the population, twice the pressure, lack of land, because a lot of southwestern Ontario is agricultural land, so they see humans all the time. So you can't compare Ontario's deer population and deer density to Saskatchewan and wonder why Ontario is not killing big mature bucks. It's because Saskatchewan doesn't have the pressure and the guys are allowing those deer to get bigger and more mature. So if, if Ontario were to follow the same suit, and I did actually make a post about this, and there's also controversy with it, but I made a very valid point. I, I put it on social media. It was a, mm-hmm. a random poll, 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 sorry, poll, random poll, and said yes or no. If you knew you would increase the deer population by 30% by giving up one year's of deer hunting. So let's just say this fall, we're not going to hunt at all. There's mm-hmm. no deer hunter in Ontario. So all the deer harvested are going to be able to breed on time. Those will be dropped, dropping fawns in May like they're supposed to, not being bred in December because all the bucks got shot. Because My argument is the fact that Ontario has too many bucks getting shot in the early season, well before they're bred. Mm-hmm. Because the breeding season in October, or sorry, in uh, Ontario is the 18th to the 22nd of November. And I've proven that with fetal measurement scales. So my point is, if you were to give up one year's worth of deer hunting and knew that you were going to produce 30% more deer the following year, would you give up a year of deer hunting for a better year next year? 72% of the poll said yes. Well, wow. So with solid stats, you can prove that the deer are completely different from Cape Breton, from Nova Scotia, to Ontario, to Saskatchewan. So what I find is if you want me to answer questions about Louisiana, I can't do that. I'm not familiar with that. I'm not familiar with the deer herd. I can't answer questions with that. Same with them. So why would you buy a product from Louisiana and use it in Canada? How do they know that our deer are going to eat it? And that's what's allowed us to succeed in Canada because I've developed our products specifically for the Canadian market for guys to use it on Canadian whitetails because it works. You know what? That's uh, that study in itself is uh, amazing because uh, to get a number as high as that, Steve, and uh, the product, like you said, the product is tailored to the environment and the herd in in Canada, and a lot of uh, a lot of people can attest to the, the provenness of the product. Obviously, uh, on many of their hunts when they choose to use the product, so that's that's huge. Uh, uh, Next question, Steve. Uh, do you prefer an early morning hunt or an evening hunt during the early season? Well, anybody that's hunted with me for any game animal knows that I hate morning hunts. And it's not because I'm not an early person, because I am. It's because my fear of bumping the game animals off of the location. Now, with that said, I do hunt mornings, but very strategically. So, I talked earlier about destination food sources, which could be a big bean field, a big field edge plot, a big alfalfa field, wherever your deer are feeding throughout the night. So if you're getting lots of nocturnal pictures, it's typically the destination food source. What I try and do is cut them off, knowing where that bedding area is, and then slide into that staging area. So there's destination, staging, and bedding. If you can cut them off in the morning, which in my property is very, very challenging. Because by the time I get to that location, 
I climb up in my stand, I get everything all set up, and I can hear the deer walking under me, and it hasn't even been broken daylight yet. And it's only because I own 100 acres. If you've got a big chunk of land where you can, you know, get five, six, seven hundred yards away from the destination, you'll catch them during daylight, and that gives you an opportunity. So I, I, it's not that I don't like daytime, or sorry, morning hunts. I prefer evening hunts at my place because I've got all the food. They're eventually going to make it to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the morning, I feel like I'm busting them. I can hear them crashing through the trees. You know, you're screwing up the hunt for the, for the next day. Gotcha. Yeah, we've got a viewer comment here, uh, which is uh, an interesting one. Steve, would you think if you did earn a buck like some of the states do in the U.S., would it have the same results? That's from Tina and Greg Martin. In my DS2 graduate course, which was uh, done back in 2011, the one of the professors there was talking about certain strategies on managing buck to doe ratios and again greg touching base on your area if you've got a high doe density which i personally have i would much rather harvest a doe than harvest a buck and the reason for that is an easiest way to explain this is if you had let's say and at some point i had 15 does and fawns in one food plot at my place and not one antlered buck. So imagine having 10 deer, all those and fawns in one field, not one antlered buck. Well, let's say my trail camera is showing there's two to three bucks in the area and they're all supposed to be bred within a 24 hour period in November. If those three bucks are supposed to breed the 10 does, by the time they have an opportunity to breed those does, probably four or five, if not six of those does are going to come back into heat in the early part of December. Hence the reason late season December hunting. So the post side as they refer to it as. So for us, I don't think it would be a wise decision to harvest those does because if you earn a buck, then you're putting more pressure back on the bucks in the later season when those does are supposed to be bred. However, eventually over time, you're going to balance that buck to doe ratio. So I think it's a great idea. But we just in Ontario don't have the deer population that the U.S. has for those earned buck um, management skills. So Pennsylvania did that once too down in Kip Adams area, and it worked out really good. So I think it actually is still in place where they have to harvest a doe prior to harvesting a buck. So everybody goes out and smacks a doe in the early October, which is fantastic for the population because now you're taking out not only – a doe that doesn't get bred, but you're also increasing the food for the existing deer in the area. So it helps out big time. Hope that answers your question, Greg and uh, Tina. Um, so we've had uh, another viewer comment come in there uh, as well. Very interesting and valuable information. Thanks, Jen. Uh, we appreciate your uh, your engagement, sir. Uh, Steve. Uh, Here's one that's probably going to be topic of uh, interest and contention with some. Uh, should the grunt cow be used in the early season? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't. Not that I don't want to answer that, but <laughs> I typically I typically slide in early and, and don't do a lot of calling that time of year. Mm-hmm. When I do my calling, it's typically in the second or third week of November because 
I mentioned earlier about fetal measurement. So we take a roadkill doe in April or May, and we measure her out to see when that doe is receptive. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time those does were bred in the third week of November. So imagine the deer season opening up on the 5th of November. They're, the bucks are harvested or whichever, you know, hunting season starts and all kinds of bucks are being hung up on the game wall. Well, they're still at bread. So I find that calling in my neck of the woods here in Eastern Ontario is much more greater in mid-November and in the second week of November. Would I call in October? Why not? Soft grunts, maybe the odd bleat. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're coming into heat yet. So I tend not to call in early October. Gotcha. No, that should be. Somebody. You're going to get a curious deer somewhere. I'm sure of it. But here, I just don't find that the early season, I get that much activity I'm calling. Gotcha. So I'm going to flip over to some of the photos there, Steve, and we can touch base on them and where they play into the whole strategic uh, early season hunt. Uh, so, uh, We've uh, obviously we've got the the doe and the fawn. Uh, is that the brackish uh, that it's in there? That's the brassica. That's field edges we're coming into. Yep, that's what you're going to get. You still see there's leaves in the background. Uh, what's the date on that there, Jeff? Uh, it is uh, mid October. Uh, mid October. Yeah. So as you can tell, they're starting to funnel into the the field edge. Everything else behind us started to dry off. There's no nutritional value in that that forage behind them, so they're going to start piling in. You know, depending on what you consider early early season, I would consider all of October early season. If we get a frost, and it typically happens around Thanksgiving when it gets down to minus three, minus five at night, if you get that minus five, man, you need to be bow hunting over field edge, and that's that's a perfect example why those girls are coming in. You know, six p.m. at night. Still probably 45 minutes of shooting light left. I know that camera is dead, dead north. That's actually one of my trail cam picks. And the, obviously the west is the left. So you want to be, make sure that the wind is in your favor. And wherever that deer is coming out, you want to be able to be, call it 20, 25 yards downwind of wherever they came out of that fence line. Perfect. And uh, we, we've got a viewer comment there, uh, David Bowman. Hey, guys, great show, great info. Thanks, David, for tuning in. Um, yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll just mosey on through some of these photos here, Steve. And uh, we've got, uh, is that one of your uh, turn up? Not a turn up, is it? Uh, That's right at the edge of one of my uh, food plots. So Chris he used to work for me back in 2011. And he's like, Steve, you should see some of the, some of these radishes. So that's Biggin's radish. I had him hold the leaves up. Typically the leaves are crown right over top of it but that's the size of and i've got another photo we'll show you here but that's the typical growth you're going to get if you give your seed enough room to grow what i find with any type of food plotters they want to seed it down like grass seed that's not what you want these are forage production seeds that plant's about 100 years or 100 days old so when you plant it in early august or late july by thanksgiving that's what you're going to get and the deer is going to eat the top leaves in the frost they're going to eat the bulb in the wintertime, and then there's still, call it 50% of the plant under the ground. And what that's going to do is actually increase the organic material in the soils when you work the plot up for next year. So it's actually increasing the organics to help grow the next plot. So it's very productive. Now, uh, Steve, question here from, like I'll use for my area, obviously. 
that in my area the the soil is like a like a clay mixture right it's uh how would that stuff uh hold up in something like that like a, a clay texture soil i've got a guy in sault ste marie ontario and his is like concrete when it comes to summer and he typically waits for a rain starts breaking it up and throws his seed down and he's been very successful especially these are referred to as tap roots so a tap root plant grows deep it can go a foot this plant actually gets a 12 foot root system on it so it draws nutrients from way down and brings it right up to the top surface for those deer to forage on and then any type of brassica if you were to pull them up out of the ground you'll see like a a large i don't know where my camera is here a large 12 inch root system on it well that's because all the the forage is coming up from that tap root so it'll even draw moisture up even in a hot summer so when to answer your clay question you can plant that and it'll help break up the soils it'll help build the organics and over time you'll find that it, it becomes more loamy as opposed to clay it breaks the soil up really well so for those guys uh, that like to hunt the hardwoods in the boggy areas if they wanted to plant that in uh, in a area of that nature it would work as well, Steve? Yeah, it would do well. You're going to want to make sure it's dry, though, because if it's a, you say boggy, if it's Bog. wet, it'll actually root, like cause root rot. So you want to make sure it's dry. Often what I'll do is I'll break it up multiple times. So you break it up, let the sun dry it out, break it up again, let the sun dry it out. You want to make sure it's good, fluffy soil before you seed it down. Gotcha. Just in the, like the beaver dams and the wet areas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you do seminars as well, so uh, yeah, this, this is in the middle of my property. This is the 80 acre field. This is another property, partial portion of my property, the destination food source. That's actually all planted right now, it's about three feet high and some really gorgeous stuff. But um, we have tours on my farm, we haven't had one in a couple of years. We're actually planning on having one on September 26th. So the reason I sent that to you is because I want guys to know if you're in Ontario and you want to actually see what we're doing on the Rackstacker farm, you'll be able to see what we're doing on 88 acres. And when you're seeing photos, I don't, I don't fub photos. I don't BS, if I can say that politely. When you see it firsthand and you see what we're doing here, and then you go mm -hmm. back home and you see and follow our social media, you'll realize that we are truly the homegrown family because everything is done 250 yards from my farmhouse. So this is up in the bush. I get to show you some timber management. We show you how to you know, do hinge cuts and hack and squirt techniques and open up canopies and release trees. If you're looking to manage timber, we show you how to do all that. That actual spot right there, if you were standing in the same position as the camera, you wouldn't see me. That's how thick it is. And before, when I bought this farm, look at I haven't even, I look like 20 years old in that photo. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I started young, I grew it up, I've done everything, I've proved it, I've harvested many white-tailed deer, and all my neighbors are going, where are you killing all these deer? And I'm like, right here. And they're like, yeah. how? And I'm like, I sit and I provide everything I can for them, whether it's mineral, cover, food, you know, I, I've dug a pond, so now I've got to constant water source like i've done everything i can to hold those deer here and as long as you hold the girlfriends all the boyfriends will show up in the fall i promise you that's, that that's a fact uh so you, you touched on the minerals obviously and uh we've uh 
We've got one here, the Blaze Mineral. I've personally used that one myself time and time again. Uh, you know what? Success with it. Uh, I'd be interested to see how many viewers use Blaze or have used Blaze because I developed that product in 2008. That was the second product I ever took to market. And we have been selling truckloads of it coast to coast. It is unbelievable the amount of guys that have loyalty to that. And it's got – that's a 20-pound pail now. We actually have them in 55-pound bulk bags for guys that have big properties that want to put multiple stands out. You know, Blaze is extremely high in vitamins A, D, and E. It helps with doves, fawns, lactation of milk, and antler development. However, we've also got our new stacked. We have Glory Mineral that's higher in phosphorus and calcium. But I'll tell you, what's happening with, with Canada these days, I find this year was absolutely insane once COVID hit. COVID <laughs> hit. Every guy was bored. They're not working. We're letting lockdown. What do I do? All of a sudden, like online orders, stores were calling like crazy. We need as much minerals we can get our hands on, and we couldn't pack it fast enough. Like, and Blaze is by far, well, next to Stacked. Stacked is doing extremely well too, but Blaze is by far the most popular mineral across Canada. And we've got a few viewer comments here. Obviously, uh, Jeremy Warren, uh, great product. Uh, Tina and Greg Martin, this information is awesome, even more so when you're getting picks from your spy point of deer in your field edge food plot. So awesome. That's uh, that's great. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll move on there, Steve. There's a couple more photos there and uh, uh, that we got here. Obviously, homegrown hunter. You've, you have your own TV show. That in itself is tremendous. You do a lot there. Uh, anybody that follows that, uh, the truck looks good. They can visit HGH TV. So we're actually uh, editing our third episode right now that's starting to air in January on the Sportsman's Channel Canada. So you'll see that. If you haven't, if you've missed the show or want to check out what we're all about, by all means, check out the website hghtv.ca. But that's obviously my truck. Gotcha. I'm going to bring up the website here for the viewers online there that uh, didn't quite get the, the URL. I'll bring it up here right now, so just bear right. with me. Uh, I know we've touched base on this uh, this portion before, Steve, but uh, viewers, uh, they, they love to check it out, right? And uh, with new viewers tuning in all the time, it's, uh, it's great to keep them informed and up to date. So here's the website, guys, hghtv.ca. There's tons of tips, tricks, you name it. Uh, lots of great footage. Uh, uh, lots of Steve's got lots of sponsors as well. So I'll scroll through them here and uh, whatnot. Uh, feel free, check that website out as well as the Rackstacker website we displayed earlier. Our kids are heavily involved, as you can tell. Logan's there pointing out a mule deer that we've seen in Alberta. But we've, we've got the kids involved a lot. And my daughter's there on the spring turkey hunt. Yeah, oh, kids involved as well. a waterfowl as well, uh, youth hunt. Like, Steve, you're a busy guy when it comes to the outdoors, I must say. Uh, there's, I don't think there's too much you don't uh, – you, you're not well-versed on, obviously. My so we sponsored many shows in the past. There's a lot of great shows out there, and I remember when my wife turned to me and she's like, "Honey, why don't you do your own show? Like, you get you've 
sponsored the shows. The shows do a great job, but then there's a ton of questions that follow. And this is one of the reasons why Jeff and I have agreed to do this podcast once a month. We're just going to touch base, kind of shoot the ball a little bit and, and talk about different strategies in certain times of the years and what you could be preparing for, for your upcoming season. And that's kind of what the homegrown hunter is kind of portrayed. We, our mission statement is about getting kids involved. It's about educating guys. This is not about Steve Elmy running around harvesting a pile of, you know, bighorn sheep. It's not about me going to Pakistan trying to kill some crazy animal I've never heard of. You know, like that's not what it's about. It's about, well, the kids and I went on a squirrel hunt this year. We, we planted corn along the fence line strictly to go squirrel hunting. We went out and shot a bunch of squirrels. We brought in a chef, Steve Schuler. He's a freaking great guy. Uh, he's a culinary chef. And he came in and showed us how to properly prepare the squirrel. And that's all on the homegrown hunter. Like, it's about guys that are out having it. Not women, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all, all, the whole family. Get out have fun. We went on a rabbit hunt this year. We shot all them. We did, um, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Marsala. Marsala is a mushroom. Rabbit Marsala, I think it was called. We did a, a cooking portion on how to cook rabbit and mar- mushrooms and i'm telling you the food is amazing and once you start getting into more of a diverse hunting aspect it's not about me going to some big wig hunt i don't care about that i want my my followers my consumers my customers to feel like you know what steve's just a cool dude that likes to hang out like the rest of us and we should have him out at our camp <laughs> And it's funny you should say that, Steve, because when I originally started this podcast, it was started with the grassroots, average Joe hunters, um, yep. and, and Jill hunters, obviously, uh, that family uh, values, the whole nine yards where people enjoy it. Uh, it's traditional. It's it's hunting heritage at its best, to say the least. Um, it's uh, You can't speak enough of uh, that, obviously, and uh, what you do with the homegrown hunter uh, just uh unifies that obviously uh we we've got a viewer comment here from jason uh can't speak highly enough of all your products so thanks jay so uh i'm gonna bring up the the few photos we have left here obviously steve which i don't think there's too many left and i think we've near touched on all of the the topics obviously here's one of those uh uh radishes that we talked about here so i know we've touched base more on food plot stuff but there's guys in there that have not food plotted that we're going to touch base on a couple of products that you can use this coming fall that'll get here in the early season but i can't talk to you enough about the biggins radish this stuff will grow in a wet paper towel it'll grow in the cracks of the sidewalk the smallest bag we have is a pound and it's 12 bucks if you want to produce a lot of food for your deer scratch the ground Throw it down, it'll grow, and that's the sort of tonnage you're going to get. So consider a food plot. Food plots this year have exploded because of COVID. Guys are out in their farms, or their properties are lying on their hunting leases, and they're working on land, and they've never food plotted. And I found that this year really took off. So I encourage you to look at the food plots. And I, I'm working with you. If you Facebook me, we have a 1-800 number that's on our website as well. If you call that number, you reach me directly. So I can answer the questions on the fly for you. I'm the type of guy that, you know, you think I'm probably not caring about your business, but I do care about your business. I care about your success. And the best part of my business is seeing 
you have me at the end of the day, and that's what I'm saying. Perfect. Uh, Entice. There you go. That's a wicked product, too. High protein, 32% protein. It's about 9% higher than anything else in the market. And you can tell right there, man, I, I'm sitting with my dog. She actually tracked that dog. I was super proud of that deer. She was super proud of that <laughs> fine. But just to let you know, that buck was harvested on the Rackstacker farm. We followed that deer for three years. We called him Torque. You know, he's 128, 130-inch eight-pointer. I was more than happy shooting a deer like that. I don't need to kill a 200-inch whitetail. I'm just happy filling the freezer and hunting with my kids and doing a show to entertain you fellas. That's awesome. And the black lab, to, you got her trained for track and uh, how about shed hunting? Does she do any of that? She does. She. It's funny because she won't pick them up. <laughs> she finds them, she'll stand by them and she kind of looks concerned because she's like, Dad, it's over here, but I'm not going to pick it up. So she's pretty good. I wouldn't complain about her, but. So earlier we showed you a photo of Field Edge next to corn and beans. Well, this is Nathan. He's up in Sault Ste. Marie, and he's got Field Edge on his left, my right, and then he's got CWTF Turkey Blend beside it. And the reason he did that, and you can't tell, nor can the people from the highway, but there's a highway that runs north and south, and you can't see into that food plot. So the deer are feeding in that food plot, and nobody can see. Nice. So cover and food for the deer. And if you've got a poaching issue or maybe a food plot that's close to a road or a highway, plant CWTF turkey blend, and that's the type of height you're going to get. You'll never see the deer in there. Jeez, eh? Awesome. Uh, and, and the spinoff effect there is it's good for turkey season, I guess, as well, eh? Yeah. So the reason we did that is because it's full of seeds. And as the snow obviously builds up in the wintertime, the deer, or sorry, the turkey can start feeding off the top of the seeds. The deer will still feed from the seeds as well, just not as heavily as the birds. And then it also provides different levels of seeds. So as the snow depth comes on and the, the seed starts to fall, the turkeys can feed on it. And obviously it's illegal to, to bait turkeys, but a food plot is considered an agricultural planting. So if you plant it the first year, plan to hunt over it the second year because it's actually agricultural planting and you can you can legally harvest a turkey there so that'll hold the turkeys until the following spring awesome and we've got the protein block uh, as well so how is this steve this looks like it's got a high molasses content in it uh correct me if i'm wrong it's it's got molasses it's got grains it's got high proteins it's got mineral it's got everything you need now i will say that the protein block is the second highest volume product we have. It We sell, I'm not going to tell you how many, but a crazy amount of them coast to coast. Everybody loves them because of a couple of reasons. One, they work. Two, they last six to eight weeks. So you wow. can put it in front of your trail camera. The deer will hammer it. Some chickadees and birds will lay on it and do their thing, but it's not going to disappear on you. You know, raccoons will paw on it, but they give up after a while because they can't break it loose. The deer will chew on it up through the winter months. And, you know, elk, I've got tons of elk out in BC that use this thing. So the protein block is a good all-around product. If if you're looking to save yourself any trouble if you're in a bear area, like I, I have a property where I bear hunt quite regularly. And I would put a bear would pick that up and walk away. It's 25 pounds, but he will walk away with it. So what I suggest you do, 
is go home with a drill, drill bit, drive a drill bit through it, and cable it to a tree. The, the bear won't walk away if it's tied to a tree, but he's not going to mess with it very long. But it works extremely well for deer for up to six to eight weeks. And once the frost and the cold weather hits, the bears are gone anyway, so they work awesome in the late season. Very, very popular product. It's interesting you said uh, drill a hole through it and cable tie it to a tree. Have you thought about manufacturing it so it's like that? I have done so. Uh, unfortunately, the mill that does that for us does hundreds of thousands of them, and they're not willing to retool their machine just for me. Gotcha. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe at some point when the volume's high enough when I snap my finger and say this has to happen, but right now they're not willing to do that. Gotcha. But a hole, like a, I use a small hole saw. I got another guy in British Columbia that, um, because he uses it for elk, he'll drill a hole through the middle of it, and he's used a piece of rebar and just slides it onto the rebar so it doesn't go anywhere, and the deer and the elk just hammer it. Gotcha. Um, next one, rack stack or deer feed? That's the original, man. That's where she all started. That's That's Canada's finest right there. That's the new bag we developed two years ago, and it's, uh, it's set a whole new precedent level for us. We've got every major retail outlet across Canada, you can imagine. We've got home hardware. We've got Canadian Tire. We've got Tractor Supply, Cabela's Bass Pro, Suregain Feeds in the Maritimes. We've got every independent retailer. You know, there's the odd retailer that doesn't carry it, but um, pretty well 1,300 stores coast-to-coast -coast carry Rackstacker Original, and there's a lot of deer harvested over those products, and we are super proud to know that we're a part of that story. You know what? That's tremendous success in itself. I've used it. Uh, I used that, and I mixed in the Blaze Mineral uh, with it, Steve, and I'll tell you that they just stick around. They, they don't like to leave the deer when they get a taste of it. So. You know, everybody's going to have their own mix. They can... I, if you've got apples or carrots, I got a fella that's in Perth, Ontario. He drives by my shop every couple of weeks and he'll pick up a half a dozen bags and he'll mix that with his carrots. And, you know, like I said an hour ago, add to it. There's, mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's the be all and end all. It, it helps everybody, helps the deer, helps the herd. It's high in protein, it's easily digestible, it's full of fiber. It helps the digestibility. It's full of vitamins and minerals. It's got vegetable oil and apple flavoring. It's got everything you can imagine for a deer, but it's certainly not the be-all and end-all. So I pour it on apples. I pour it down into alfalfa bales, and it slows the birds down. Sometimes you get a, a big flock of blackbirds flying through on migration, and all of a sudden you're out a bag of deer feed. Well, mm -hmm. what I'll do is I'll put down a bag of my original deer feed and then throw a square bale of alfalfa on top of it, the deer smell it, they like it, the birds don't like it. So the birds will leave the feed alone, and the deer lead it through the, through the night. So change it up, be kind of proactive in what you're using. If you've never used Rackstack or Original, give it a try. I promise it'll work. It works awesome coast to coast. And we use it everywhere. It's all shipped across Canada. Guys love it, but don't just stop at that. Use some other stuff to add into it, because the deer are natural foragers. They're going to be feeding on all kinds of other stuff as well. Perfect. And we've got uh, one of your buddies there with uh, with the protein block, obviously. And, uh, and I must say, that is an amazing buck he has there. Uh, must have been in the rut, Steve, by the size of the neck on him, obviously. Uh, because he was, 
shoot a huge deer. This is Jeff. I've known him almost 10 years now, and he said, Steve, give me everything you got. I want to shoot this deer. He had that camera over Blaze Mineral for the whole season. But when I say season, I'm talking like summer. So he puts his Blaze Mineral out in March like everybody else does and as soon as the snow is gone. He had trail camera pictures like crazy. He bought slop and feed and blocks and bricks and all this other stuff. He put it all out there. And he said, Steve, I'm telling you, he walked in into the food plot and buried his face in that protein block, and he smoked them. So, you know, record book whitetail right there, probably a Booner, 170, Ontario whitetail, harvested over rack stacker. Best, best story you can ever imagine. And it happens every year. It's the best part of my job. That's awesome. Uh, we've got some more uh, food plot uh, photos here, Steve. Obviously, that uh, we I got towards the end here uh, in the sequence of photos. Uh, you want to touch base a little on this one? That's field edge in the front. Again, this is actually a slightly different angle from the photo where there's beans and corn and beans and corn. So this photo is facing almost dead west, and the other photo was to the left facing dead north, so you would have seen the blind up in the front. So you can't really – well, you can maybe tell. If there's corn on the left at the top of the screen – and there's a bit of a gap there. That's the beans in the gap. And then there's corn on the right. And then this is all field edge. So, again, providing as much food, as much variety as I possibly can while still breaking up that uh, acre and a half of food plots, trying to get those deer to travel as much as they possibly can. Gotcha. Uh, again, another one of your uh, – is this one of your pro staff or is this uh, just a customer in general? No, that's Tyrell. That's my warehouse manager right there. He, uh, that's his his best buck he's ever harvested. Early season October, and that deer was feeding in a perennial forage food plot. So that's you know your typical pre-rut buck that you're going to harvest. And he shot that deer was tickled pink and decided to show that. So Tyrell, everybody that touches product out there, Tyrell touched every product that you're picking up off the shelf. He's the fella that's at the warehouse packing every order every day. Wow, eh? Yeah. I'm glad he's young because my shoulders are fried. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another one. Uh, the Blaze yeah, he shot that deer with Blaze. He's, he's up in Sudbury, Ontario. Swears by Blaze, he gets moose and bear and deer all over Blaze all summer long, and that deer grew up on Blaze. He ended up harvesting that, I think, two years ago. Wow, that's something, eh? Now, the next photo here, Steve, is one that I'm going to bring up here. It's not one that you had uh, sent me, obviously, but I figure it was worth the honorable mention because, uh, obviously, uh, this is aired coast to coast uh, within Canada and the U.S., obviously. Uh in Canada, it seems to be predominantly large when there's a Canadian person uh, on the show, obviously, like yourself. And it went from Newfoundland to British Columbia. But uh, what, what jumped out at me there today was one uh, one viewer, if I can bring it up here. Uh, bear with me. Uh, let's see if it's going to allow me to uh, bring it up. Wasn't expecting that little glitch there. It should have... Uh, you want to do that, Jeff? I'll, I'm going to touch base on the viewers that are following us right now. Sure. I'm going to give away a hoodie at the end of this show. And if you're watching right now and you want one of these hoodies from Rackstack, and these are brand new, they're absolutely gorgeous. I'll see if I can swing it in front of the camera here. These are 12 Rackstacker hoodies. 
They're high performance. They're normally $69.99. We're going to give one away at the end of the show. All you need to do is like and share the Coast to Coast podcast that we're doing right now, and you give yourself an opportunity to win. As soon as you win, I'll fire you a message after the show, and Jeff and I will uh, pick a winner, and we will get that mailed out to you. Perfect. And and here it is here, uh, and I'll give the, the Facebook group uh, Hunting BC uh, – a shout out there because uh, some of these hunting uh, pages on uh, social media, obviously they have to be approved posts. So uh, thanks to uh, hunting BC, uh, it got shared there and Tanya wall uh, commented. She said, we had the pleasure of meeting this guy a couple of years back. He was in BC on an elk hunt. Uh, he gave us swag and free products. Very friendly. Wow. <laughs> so, That's cool. So, that's that's what I mean. Like uh, the engagement, Steve uh, goes far and wide, obviously. And uh, believe it or not, we've we've got a large following over in Europe that uh, listen to the podcast. Not so much the the visual side, but they listen to it in their native language uh, in Europe. There, so uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's gone far and wide. Uh, oh, I'm proud of you, man. It's nice to see the Canadians are starting to show up in different places and. You know, we're starting to expand in the United States, and you know we're looking forward to expanding the podcast opportunities too. That's one of the reasons why Jeff and I are working close together. Jeff does an amazing job here with his podcast. We're going to kind of tighten things up a little bit about subjects going forward, and we're going to do this on a month-to-month basis. So if you want to follow us, by all means, check us out on Rackstack or website or follow Jeff at Coast to Coast Outdoors. I think this is a great opportunity and kind of keep things going live and start to maybe bring some viewers from the United States. I've got some good friends in Wisconsin that follow us. In fact, I seen uh, Irv there, a buddy of mine from Iowa. And he, you know, these guys have gotten to know me over the years and know that I'm a straight shooter and they, I'm not going to BS you in any way that obviously nobody's supposed to, but you hear it quite a bit in my case, but I, I try and be truthful and be homegrown about what I'm doing and give you honest opinions on what I feel. And you know what? Uh, for, for the viewers there that may have just started to, to follow us, Steve, you were actually uh, episode six when we originally rolled this out. So it was uh, from there. It had some uh, some growing pains, obviously, because it uh, it grew faster than even I had uh, expected. And uh, currently, we're on fifteen to seventeen uh, North American podcasts. Wow, uh, we're, we're on two in North uh, in Europe that uh, get dubbed over. So me and you will be displayed somewhere else from the, either the podcast audio extracted from this, or we may actually, I'm in talks with a, a fellow over there now where this broadcast obviously would be dubbed over into French and Portuguese and even Italian. So uh, it's, uh, it's gone, it's gone bigger than, I had thought, and this, like I said, Steve, this started, like I told you in episode six, this started to promote Canadian businesses and hunters, obviously, and anglers, anybody in the outdoors, obviously, across Canada. But it has grown to be so much more in the context that I have uh, acquired uh, from what I have done. Uh, it, tremendous and, uh, and awesome, obviously. So. Yeah, I'm very proud of you. Good job. So it's, it's guys like you that uh, – are able to provide me with some content and some uh, some added insight to the viewers that uh, they, they wish to see, obviously, Steve. So thank you for uh, being loyal enough to, to partner with us moving forward and uh, 
and uh, make this podcast a monthly uh, ordeal with uh, yourself and the Rack Stacker products. Glad to be a part of it, man. So, if you have anything else, Steve, you want to add? Uh, I think we touched on the strategy. We touched on some food plot for uh, spring and fall, obviously. Uh, uh, I've got one question here that I think I may have skipped over, though, before I go that far. Uh, I do, actually. Uh, should cut lines uh, be used on, uh, in the early season, obviously? Cut lines. Cut lines. So if they're hunting over a food plot, should people have lines cut there for visual so it's easier for deer? Oh, crab shooting lanes. Shooting lanes, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well, so when you're shooting archery, you can shoot through like milo and grass, but when you're getting through corn stalks and stuff, absolutely make sure they're cut down. You don't want to, you don't want to be shooting through that. You can easily get deflected or slow your blade. Or if you're shooting mechanicals, it can get caught up and deflect the arrow. It's not good at all. So make sure you, you have your shooting lanes cleared through corn stalks. But when it comes down to any type of food plot, low growing food plot up to three feet high, you're, you're clear as day. Just take the shot and that deer will be well above, his vitals will be well above the food plot that you're hunting. Perfect. That answers that because that was one question I, I skipped over and I, I just caught it there. Uh, we've got a few more viewer uh, engagement comments. Are you working on any new products, Steve? Of course. <laughs> of course. We uh, we don't plan on slowing down in any fashion. We, we've also got um, some U.S. stuff that we're expanding into. So I've got my hands full. Typically, all of our new stuff is developed during the, the winter season, so January on, we've actually been testing multiple products in the past. Believe it or not, I've actually thrown out more ideas than I've launched because they didn't work in the field. Now, I've got, I think, about the 21 staff members across Canada. So from BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, right to the East Coast, we've got uh, field staff and elite staff that test our products for us. So Anything that I develop, I fire it off to them. They test the product in the field, and once they approve it, then I decide to launch it and test the product. So anything right new, new right now, we actually have a product called the Crown Jewel. And everybody's heard of the Trophy Rock. It's out of the Utah mines. Well, the Crown Jewel is a Himalayan salt rock. It's a 12 to 15-pound salt rock. It retails for $5 less than the comp competition that's out there. Unfortunately, we sold out in the first week I even launched the product. Wow. So I took the product. I said, here, everybody, this is what we got, and it was gone. <laughs> so we're testing other stuff out there. We want to come up with – but we, we don't want to be – we want to be unique. You know, with our heavyweight moose mineral, we changed the formula slightly to make it better for the moose. So, you know, we're tweaking formulas that we have now, but – tweaking them in a way that is going to benefit the herd and trying to keep our retails within reason. And our biggest thing right now is trying to keep the categories um, growing. When I say categories, I'm talking like food. So for instance, people want deer feeders. We used to distribute Moultrie deer feeders, but because we're in Ontario and there's a lot of bear population, the, the feeders get busted up. They get smashed or they get knocked over and the bears eat the feed. And then all of a sudden you're out 200 bucks. Well, we teamed up with a company called Banks Outdoors, and Banks is a, a young company. Actually, mm -hmm. his son is my age. Uh, wow. He's a great guy. His dad, Rob, is a CNC uh, engineer, so he manufactures 
uh, plastic mold injections, and they they build injection mold feeders that are made of UV polyurethane, uh, UV stabilized polyurethane feeders, and they guarantee it towards any damage. So they're they're not inexpensive. They're high quality, and they guarantee them for life. So if a bear destroys it, send it back. They'll fix it up and send it back to you brand new. Wow. And they back their product, and I. I used it last year. I've got my own feeders. I've got blinds coming in. In fact, I got a truckload of blinds showing up on September 8th here at the rack stack of property. So we got new blinds coming in. And instead of us developing new products, we're actually starting to support other brand industry companies similar to Banks Outdoors. And we also have a food plot equipment that we recently tag teamed with called Groundhog Max. And Groundhog Max is a piece of equipment with six discs on it that sits underneath uh, any type of four-wheeler that's over oh, three feet. Wow. So it can sit on a side-by-side, it can sit on a Honda, it can sit on a Players, Yamaha, Kawasaki, doesn't matter. It, it bolts into the mainframe unless you have a two-inch receiver. And you can check it on our website. It's under the food plot section. There's the Groundhog Max. There's, there is one with a kit. The kit bolts onto a Honda or a Polaris because it has a, a different setup. So you can check it out online and it's a reasonable price. It's less than 500 bucks and you can put any food plot in. This thing's 46 pounds. Wow. You on your research, it'll chew up a half an acre in an hour and you're ready to plant. So if you're looking for a small piece of implement, that's your best bang for your buck right there is the Groundhog Max. So okay. for new products, we are coming up with new products. However, we're also teaming up with some really high-quality products to bring them to Canada so that we have an opportunity to use them ourselves. No, that's wonderful to hear. Uh, we have a viewer comment, wonderful show, thank you. And we have another viewer chimed in, me too. There's hey, a diehard food plotter. That guy's new to food plotting, and he's an absolute diehard right now. Sending me photos like every hour. <laughs> you know what? That's, that's what you want. Yep. Uh, you know what, Steve, uh, unless you got anything else you want to chime in with or any other viewers want to chime in, uh, I think we did extremely well for time, uh, on the, on this compared to the last one. Uh, we, uh, we hit on everything on the last, uh, yeah, we were chatting all over. It was great. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but you know what, uh, it's great. If there's any, uh, American viewers there that, uh, have tuned in and seen this, uh, if you can message me some wonderful uh, Facebook groups down in the U.S. that we can broadcast to, uh, please let us know, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll get that out. So this way here, when Steve's on next time, we can broadcast it to more down in the the U.S. side, obviously for uh, for what we do currently uh, as well. Anybody that wants to to hear just the audio of this, say you're at work, you're you're out in a tree stand, what have you. Uh, there's 15 of the 17 North American platforms. At the end, we'll do an outro with a list of them all. And, uh, yeah, tune in and enjoy. So, Steve, I'll give you the final uh, words there if you got anything you want to say uh, before we uh, we pick a winner there that sent us a, a comment, obviously. Well, I just encourage everybody, if you're looking to see what my family has been up to with the Homegrown Hunter TV and Rackstacker, by all means, check out our Facebook following. I, I always post on Instagram at Rackstacker Big Game Attractants, and we also do the social media thing for Rackstacker Incorporated. So if you check out our website or Facebook, 
follow us that way. You'll see that I'm very family orientated and involving my kids in every aspect. And we've also got a couple of new young lads that work at our warehouse now that have been packing all summer for you guys. So we're going to get them into hunting and get them out and hopefully harvest a deer. We're going to do some hunting for chuckers. We got a black bear hunt starting on Tuesday. So if you're interested in some bear hunting tips, we also do live videos from inside the field to show you some of our techniques to harvest the game animals. So follow us on social media, share us with your friends. And if you're interested in winning a hoodie, these are brand new for this year. We're going to give one away here in about two minutes. So share and like the page. Be sure to check out Coast to Coast Outdoors for more information. Jeff and I will be doing this on a monthly basis. Awesome. And it's uh, it's going to be a great partnership between you and I, Steve. I can see that. Uh, so uh, how many comments did we get here? Uh, geez, we got, a, we got a few. Uh, we've got Jeff Rich. We've got Jeremy Warren, uh, uh, Jeremy Brewer, Erwin uh, James, uh, uh, Danny. That's not. I, I, I don't want to mess up your. Busy on Okay, I don't want to mess up your name. Uh, my apologies, uh, Eric uh, Lee Breton, uh, Alex. Uh, we've got uh, Tina and Greg. Uh, we've got Jen, we've got David. Uh, yeah, we've got a few repeat uh, commenters. We've got uh, Paulette uh, and we've got uh, Keith there. So uh, I can display them, Steve, and uh, I'll let you pick uh, pick as you see fit. How's that sound? Yeah, <laughs> put me on the spot so the guy's like, hey, he didn't pick me. So... Let's do Jeff Rich. Jeff Rich. There you go. So, Jeff Rich. First time watching? Got a new hoodie, buddy. You got yourself a new hoodie. So, reach out to uh, us guys here at Coast to Coast, and I'll get the, the need people. Need your size your color. What was that, Steve? I need a size and a color. Size and a color, Jeff Rich. So, if you're still watching, tune in. If not, we will message you from the show here and uh again size and color and steve will get you a shirt mailed off to you if you guys are interested in a hoodie by all means check you on amazon we're gonna have them on amazon.com n.ca as well as rackstacker.ca and there's select dealers coast to coast that'll have it as well so keep an eye out for the christmas holidays and if you guys have somebody in your family you'd like to buy for or if they're looking for a hunter orange hoodie they're pretty sexy they're high performance they look awesome there you are, folks. Uh, so, Steve, uh, I'm just going to take you off the feed here uh, for a quick minute. Uh, I'll come back for a quick chat. Uh, I'll roll out the, the intro, uh, and I'll be back after that. So uh, there you have it, folks. Uh, Steve Elmy, the Rackstacker guy, Rackstacker products. Uh, feel free to check them out. Uh, we've, we've touched on their website, everything here in the show. So with that, thanks for tuning in. Uh, appreciate your support and stay tuned for the next episode of Coast to Coast Outdoors. And thanks again for viewing.